0: Welcome to the High on Life podcast, where it's all about empowering you with the medicine and the mindset to healthfully lose weight and thrive beyond the scale. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha High. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss and beyond. Remember that while I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. So be sure to seek medical support from a qualified health professional. This is episode 45 of the High on Life podcast. Welcome back. My name is Dr. Sasha High, and I'm joined by Julie May, who is one of our amazing dietitians who runs our Recover Strong program for binge eating disorder. And in our last episode, we talked all about the diagnosis of binge eating disorder and how to kind of arrive at that diagnosis, how to seek treatment. And today we're going to talk all about this specific form of therapy, which is called cognitive behavioral therapy. So welcome back, Julie. Thank you for having me again. All right, amazing. So you are heading up Recover Strong, which is the name of our CBTT program for binge eating disorder. Can you give us an overview of this treatment?
1: Yes, so Recover Strong is our coaching program for people who are who have binge eating disorder. So as my background, I'm a registered dietitian trained in binge eating disorder, but I am also a certified life coach and I really enjoy doing the coaching aspect of when it comes to binge eating disorder treatment. So Recover Strong is our coaching program to help support and empower our clients in order to do the work on themselves. Mm-hmm. So Recover Strong's are our, our 10-week program, one hour a week, you see me. And then there's also two follow-ups, and we're slowly letting you go to make sure that the binges don't come back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And we've based it in this specific type of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, right? So like that's the that's the root of Recover Strong is that we formulated it based on this evidence-based treatment approach for binge eating disorder, pardon me. So let's talk a little bit about what that looks like.
1: Yes. So um, at the High Metabolic Clinic, uh, of course, we primarily did weight loss. But as we were going along and and doing our discovery calls with clients, we were realizing the prevalence of binge eating disorder and how common that can show up without us knowing it. It's the most underdiagnosed and and undertreated eating disorder compared to bulimia nervosa and anorexia nervosa. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when we first started discovering that, we were seeing where can we refer these clients to? What kind of programs are there? And we were realizing there aren't a lot. So
0: Mm
1: -hmm. the the one that we did discover does exist is a manualized program called CBTT, which stands for cognitive behavioral therapy in 10 sessions. And it's based off of the CBTED, which is another form of manualized therapy for eating disorders. But the thing is, The CBT-ED could be many, many sessions long, like 20-plus sessions. And as we all know, the waiting list for eating disorders is very long. Even before COVID, it was really long. So researchers and clinicians got together and developed CBTT, condensed into 10 sessions to see if the results would be just as effective for eating disorders. And the early studies are showing that it is effective for treatment. So our cover strong program we have taken principles from cognitive behavioral therapy in order to have effective coaching for this disorder and just the premise of CBTT is cognitive behavioral therapy it is basically the idea that the behaviors that someone does is based off of the thoughts and maybe the feelings of how of what they're thinking. And so the work to be done is on managing and skills on handling those thoughts in order to then create behaviors that are more helpful.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Such a good, okay. Like big picture overview. So thoughts, feelings, actions. I talk about that a lot on the podcast. We teach that a lot in our best weight program also. And now we're applying that to help overcome binges sometimes we call it thought errors. I think the formal term in CBTT is the broken cognitive link. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yes. So the broken cognitive link is basically that, that broken thought that eating a certain type of food or a binge will automatically result in a large amount of weight gained. And so in our previous episode, we talked about the two distinctions of how binge eating disorder can manifest. The one specifically where there is a binge and restrict cycle. So long periods of time of restriction followed by a binge as our body's survival mechanism is kicking in. People who are more of the the restriction-based binge eating disorder likely have what we call the broken cognitive link, where the restriction is based on the fear of weight gain. And Mm -hmm. so In our society, we're taught, oh, just eat less and exercise more and you'll lose weight. And binge eating disorder is basically that, but amplified. And so when someone is restricting, often it comes from that fear that when they do eat or when they have a binge, they're going to gain weight. And then when the binge happens, that broken cognitive link shows up where they assume that the the weight resulting from a binge will be high, like 10 pounds. And in CBTT, we address the cognitive link by doing weekly weighings to see what is actually happening and challenging that broken cognitive link and realizing that that may not always be the case. And that's where that thought error we talk about comes in.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting because one of the things that we do in CBTT is getting people to face their fear foods, right? Like, okay, you're, you think that if you eat pizza, you're going to eat the entire thing and you won't be able to control yourself and you're going to gain 10 pounds, right? Like that's that broken cognitive link, but one of the, but we'll get them to like, okay, you're going to eat pizza like every day this week to show your brain that you can, you can eat it without going overboard and that you're not going to gain those 10 pounds that your brain thinks you're going to gain. Which I think about that because it's like the opposite of what a lot of diet programs would teach is it's like, oh, you know, you can't control yourself with pizza. Well, clear your cupboards. Like go into your cupboards, clear your pantry, get all the fear foods out of the house, which essentially just teaches you like you have no control. So you just better keep it it away from you, right? (sighs) And I think that there sometimes can be a role for like clearing your environment and setting your environment up for success. Like, I think that can be really helpful. Except if it perpetuates, perpetuates this idea that you have no control over yourself and the, the food is so controlling over you that you can't even have it near you, it's like, it's just so disempowering, right? And then it's like, well, what happens if your husband brings it home or your kid brings it home or like someone comes over, like now you, you have no control. So you're just done, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. So fear food experiments is definitely what it sounds like. And we are facing our fear foods or the foods that we tend to not have control over. And I really liked what you said about diet culture and how they tell us to just avoid and cut out all of these foods. And it also just reinforces the idea that we don't trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. We can't trust it around these foods. And so I have to keep it out of the house, but it is very disempowering. So what I do in the recover strong program is we make you eat your fear foods. which (laughs) Sounds so unconventional, but if anyone is familiar with exposure therapy, It's something that is commonly used for someone who has a phobia, uh, stereotypically arachnophobia with spiders. The, The treatment for a fear of spiders is to slowly have exposure to that phobia, And eventually with repeated exposures, it'll start becoming a little more neutral and the anxiety won't be as high. That very first time that you see that spider, the anxiety is going to be an 11 out of 10. But with repeated exposures, eventually it starts to lessen. And that's the premise that we use for the feared food experiments. At first, when you have these foods again, all those emotions are going to start rushing back, telling you that this is bad. I shouldn't be having this guilt, shame. and Once you are able to allow yourself to have these foods, it's so amazing to see the results. When we restrict something, it makes us want it more, but when you have that permission to allow yourself to have it, you it's not actually a free-for-all. You are able to have so much more control when you allow it because you're more empowered. Yeah. I love that. And that's certainly what, when
0: I've, you know, I've interviewed a couple of our clients who've gone through recover strong now, and that's the transformation that is so amazing is one of our clients was like, I could not have chips in the house. Like I couldn't control myself. I would literally eat the whole bag. Like it, it just wasn't something I could be around. Now she's like, yeah, I've had chips in my cupboard for weeks. And sometimes I'll like get out a small bowl and eat it. And then other times I don't eat it. Right. It's like how life changing is that you can be around any food and know that you're the one in control. Like that We call that food freedom, right? Where you are not controlled by food anymore. And that is so empowering for people to learn. I think that's the part that's so transformational for our clients. Like when I've interviewed them is that, you know, we've had people say, I couldn't have chips in the house because I would eat all of the chips to now you know i had oh yeah i've got chips they've been sitting in my cupboard for 2 weeks and sometimes i'll grab a small bowl and other times i don't need it and it's like that's so life changing right to feel that you have control the food is not controlling you you can be around anything you don't need to be afraid that you are like suddenly going to be stuffing your face with you know that lack of control so it's um yeah i think it's it's so empowering for people when they learn these strategies to know like they have the control within them they just didn't learn the tools right and now you're teaching them the tools
1: Yeah, 100%. That food freedom is so empowering. Learning how to coexist with these foods now instead of before people were once... I had clients, they knew that there was ice cream in the house and they couldn't stop thinking about it until they did have it. And then when they did, it ended up turning into a binge because it was such a forbidden and a shameful food. But once they started allowing it and we did the feared food experiments together, now they were able to just coexist with these foods. If anybody brought it in, if the temptation was there, they were able to have it in their house for weeks, months and not think much about it anymore.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. And I wanted to go back cause you were talking about the exposure therapy and I think this work is so interesting cause it's, it's kind of the opposite of what our society teaches us. And what I mean by that is society now is all about like immediate pleasure, get it fast, Uber eats, get it to your house within like 20 minutes, like immediately satisfy and gratify those impulses and that pleasure that you're wanting And everything that we're doing in treating binge eating disorder, even in, in weight loss is actually tolerating distress, right? Like tolerating anxiety in the face of the fear foods and actually learning that that's okay. Tolerating discomfort when you're like wanting to just eat anything, but you're restraining out of, out of self-love. So it's like, it's like the opposite, right? (laughs) What society teaches, which I think is so interesting.
1: I totally agree. Yeah. And when it comes to binges, we in our program, there are three primary triggers for having a binge. One is the, the physical hunger. So often if there are large gaps or there's restriction happening, then that could lead to a binge. Second is emotional triggers. So that's where the distress and the, the discomfort comes in. Maybe there something has happened at work where an emotional trigger has come up. Which then causes someone to have a binge as a way of coping. And Mm -hmm. the third one could be more of a, a neurological hunger, where it's that reward part of the brain that is really activated and causing people to then want to seek the pleasure through food. And with the emotional hunger specifically, that's where that distress tolerance that you talked about happens. But it's so amazing because we do work in learning skills to help treat the root cause. I know the root cause is kind of a a cliche saying these days but if something emotional has happened and we are feeling dysregulated food is the band-aid we aren't Mm -hmm. actually treating what the need is but in our recover strong program we're learning how to meet our own needs which is also an act of self-love and so those those skills have been really transformational in stopping those emotional based binges for people
0: yeah and it's it's amazing when we when we when you, when that treatment comes in, because it's like, if you're having a negative emotion, like stress from work, or you had an argument with your husband, because generally in our society, and, and we teach this when we're dealing with emotional eating too, so not just binge eating, but emotional eating, we don't learn emotional processing. We learn to suppress emotion, don't show emotion, emotion is bad, you shouldn't feel that way, you should be happy all the time. And so when we have these perceived negative emotions like stress or anger or disappointment or rejection... We don't know how to handle it. And so the easiest thing to soothe with is food. Right. And so for people with binge eating disorder, it's like it's it is soothing. So there's a benefit to your brain to continue engaging in that behavior, which is why it continues going, right? If there was no benefit to doing it, your brain would stop the behavior. But because it's getting a positive feedback, then it perpetuates the behavior. And so the work in learning the coping strategies and self-soothing that doesn't involve food that part is so powerful because what happens and you, you see this all the time, right? Is like after the binge. So you have that temporizing like band aid that you described and then the shame kicks in and then the remorse and the guilt and the self-hatred kicks in. And then it's like, well, now I feel terrible. So let me, you know, like, let me restrict and then binge again, because I feel so terrible. So it just becomes this really, really vicious cycle. Right.
1: Yeah. And, of course, like this is happening. None of us are ever, or not none, but a lot of us are raised to not show emotion. Kids are meant to be seen, not heard. And Mm. so (laughs) I feel like in, I grew up with immigrant parents and in my culture too, like showing emotions is very taboo and it's something that's not done. And so we all grow up now with this lack of emotional intelligence to know how to actually self-soothe ourselves. And so we do it maybe through food instead. And on top of all that, social media also tells us like, if we have a breakup, we are eating a whole tub of ice cream or we, and it just perpetuates that message. That food is to be used as a cope.
0: Yeah. And I think the factor that we want to, you know, the message that we want to clarify is it's like, it's not that emotional eating is always bad, right? Like there are times where we, everyone, we eat not for nourishment. We eat for pleasure. We eat for other reasons. Like we have joy eats. We are celebrating a birthday. We're having cake. So it's not that it's always bad, but it is when it's causing a problem in your life that that's something that we want to address. So I just wanted to differentiate that so that someone doesn't hear like, oh, you should never emotionally eat. Right. So, okay. We talked about fear food experiments. We talked about, which is a form of exposure therapy. We talked about emotional triggers. What are some of the other big kind of concepts that you cover in, in Recover Strong that's based in CBTT?
1: So the thought work is a major part, Uh, by definition, the cognitive behavioral therapy is where we work on the thoughts. And so anybody who's listening to this podcast will know that Sasha talks about the thought model where our thoughts is what leads to the feelings that we have. And then the results, actions, or behaviors that result. And we do something similar in CBTT or a recover strong program, where we are looking at what thoughts are coming up. And we do it, I guess, in a a longer form chain and we call it Newton's cradle, which is like the the balls and the string that people have on their desk. And there is a trigger or circumstance that happens the thoughts that we have about that is what is key. It's not about the event that actually happened because we can't control that, but what thoughts is your brain coming up with to rationalize that event that happened? And that is the most telling. And what I discovered through the Recover Strong program is that a lot of our thoughts are rooted in what we call the core beliefs or the dysfunctional assumptions that we have about ourselves. So as an example, I had a client who was having trouble dating and felt like, Nobody liked her because she was overweight and that the belief was society is more fat phobic and that if you have extra weight, then you are not attractive. And that is not always true, but... If that is the thought, then the belief is maybe that I am unattractive or maybe I am not deserving of love. And so the real work to be done is to look at what that core belief or assumption that we have about ourselves is, that is rooting all of these thoughts that are coming up for us. And that's where that self-love journey also exists because... If the assumption is something like "I'm not deserving of love," then the feelings that result, of course, are going to be negative feelings. And if we're having negative feelings, then the behaviors that result is likely something to self soothe that negative behavior. And obviously, in anybody in the Recover Strong program, that may be the the binge eating. And so, yeah. behaviors is another thing that we can also work on to learn skills to cope instead.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the most profound messages when people are first becoming familiarized with cognitive behavioral therapy is not all of your thoughts are true, right? In fact, many of your thoughts are not true. So you don't have to believe all your thoughts. I think that concept in itself is like, what really? Like I thought all my thoughts were true. Like if it pops into my mind, then it like, then most of us just go along with it. And so it's really starting to challenge what we call thought errors or, you know, those core beliefs that form you know, what we, what our, our worldview, how we view ourselves and then how we feel about ourselves and then our actions that follow, which is what you just described. So yeah, it's, that's so powerful. So tell us a little bit about the results that we've seen so far in recover strong.
1: Yes. The results have been amazing. So for the clients that are putting in the work and showing up each week and completing the homework that I'm, I'm assigning each week, the binges have not come back. So yeah. It's amazing to see what can be done in such a short amount of time. Like it was just It's just 10 weeks. It's just two months. But after the two months, people are equipped with the skills on how to manage those different types of triggers that lead to a binge. And then I see them again a month later for the first follow-up and the binges haven't come back. So during the follow-up period. What happens is in session 10, we talk about strategies to prevent relapse or prevent the the binges from coming back. We go a month without each other. We have the first follow-up and then we go another two months and then we have another follow-up to really make sure that we are maintaining everything that we've learned and that the binges don't come back. And the results have been transformational for people. Yeah, it is really amazing. Like
0: we're talking about women who have had binge eating disorders of since they were like, 13 years old. Right. And we're two decades later and they're finally getting treatment. And within 10 weeks, they're no longer binging. Like, I think, I don't know if you agree, but it's been surprising even for me, like when we started getting this training in treating binge eating disorder, I don't think I really believed that it could be this effective. And I've been like, this is amazing. Like This is, this is crazy effective for people. And it's so life-changing without needing to put, you know, to medicate someone and put someone on medication. So I don't know, do you feel that way?
1: Were you surprised? I do. It also surprises me. Sometimes what I see is the first few weeks, obviously we're really motivated. We're doing well, we're putting in the work, but then it gets hard. We realize how hard it actually is to, mm-hmm. to change habits and routines that have been with us for so long. Some people are binging for decades, but with that weekly support for 10 weeks, I've really been able to help people get over that hump. And then they are doing so well. And it's, it it is amazing how much can be done in such a short amount of time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been remarkable to see the transformation. I will say, and I think this is important for anyone listening. Who's like, Oh, you know, maybe I want to do this program. Maybe I want to get treatment. It is a It's called a doing therapy, right? CBTT. It is not a passive thing where you kind of learn some stuff and you think about it and you talk about it. It really requires a readiness on behalf of the client to do the work, right? To do the work every single day. There is a lot of homework. It is a big commitment for those 10 weeks. And so, there are some clients who aren't ready, right? And we don't necessarily know that upfront, but there is an evaluation at week four where it's a discussion with the client and the the coach. And there are some clients who've not continued, right? Because it hasn't been the right time. Do you want to talk about that factor a little bit?
1: Yes. So again, because 10 weeks is not a lot of time, uh, this program has been structured to kind of give you that kick in the pants. So, there, there's one feature of it where the weekly homework needs to be done. and what it is is essentially a food log each week. And because we are treating those binges in real time, we have to be able to recall what has gone on in the previous week in order to um, talk about what has happened, what were the triggers, and see if there were any gaps in nutrition. So if the homework isn't done, I do something called the five minute session where there's nothing for us to talk about if the homework isn't done and and it's hard to, retroactively discuss the week without having any of those records and so uh, we end the session early because there is nothing to talk about and that is the one thing to really give people the motivation to continue and then the the session four review the big review so the first Half of the program is designed to normalize eating, is what we call it. So, if you are having the binge and restrict cycle, you're not eating for a long amount of time. You're not having those regular meals and snacks. And it's really important that we have that nutrition in place because if not, then our blood sugars are going to be up and down. We're going to be in periods of starvation. And it's just not a good space to be in in order to practice some of the harder stuff, the emotional skills. Mm-hmm. And so, in session four, we th- do the review to make sure that there is adequate dietary progress and that you're putting in the work in order for us to then move forward. And sometimes it is not the right time. There are times where maybe someone is experiencing other mental health issues such as depression or anxiety that is preventing them from making that progress in in the four weeks. And Mm -hmm. that's what we mean by it's not the right time. Maybe we have to focus on that first before we can do something as intensive as this. And so that's where we decide what is the best because we don't want to be setting you up for failure either.
0: Yeah, I think that's the key is when I first heard that sometimes therapy stopped at week four, I was kind of like, Like it it didn't feel right for me because our whole approach with in our, in our weightless program is all about compassion and not expecting perfection and all that stuff. And for me, it felt like a conflict. Like it almost felt punitive to be like, okay, if you're not making progress, like you're done. But then if you understand the rationale, the rationale is, and I'm sorry, if you can hear my kids in the background, the rationale is that if you haven't made progress at week four, we don't want you to continue to week 10 and not get the result. Because then you're going to believe that there's there's just no treatment for you, right? Like it's another thing that doesn't work. And so we don't want to perpetuate this like thought that will make you feel hopeless, right? So we would rather stop the treatment, just be like, you know what? it's not a punitive thing at all. Like this is not a blame thing. You're not a bad person, but right now in your life, it may not be the right time. As you mentioned, it might be other mental health diagnoses, or it could just be works really busy and your kids are really busy. And right now you cannot invest the time to do all of this work. And so we'd rather stop it so that, so that you don't have another piece of evidence in your brain that you just can't get the help that you need. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So 10 weeks of CBTT working with you and then two follow-ups at month 1 and month 3. Let's t- touch on as we wrap up the very last piece of this so some of the rules around CBTT that and specifically that that you can't be trying to lose weight. Can you talk about that cuz I think that for some people can be a little off-putting at first so let's help understand why that's important.
1: Yes. So There are some ground rules to the the Recover Strong program, some of them being do the homework, the attendance, um, weekly weighing, and the no intentional weight loss. So we really try to make sure that weight loss is not intentionally happening because it's counterintuitive to the work that we're doing. We talked about that broken cognitive link. We're really trying to dismantle that. And if we're intentionally trying to lose weight, then the results that we're getting with the scale each week is not going to help break apart that belief or cognitive distortion that we have on the scale. As an example, in our feared food experiment, for some people, it's challenging that belief that just the presence of this feared food that they're eating is going to cause a lot of weight gain. So we have to challenge that by having the food and the meal structure to see what actually happens. But if we're restricting then we are not fully going to be able to challenge that belief that just having a bowl of ice cream is not going to cause a lot of weight gain. So it's important that we're not intentionally losing weight because it also reinforces the diet mentality and restriction can also exasperate that binge and restrict cycle again, which is again, counterintuitive to what we're doing.
0: Yeah. I think because a lot of women that come into our community connect with us. They're actually coming because they want to lose weight. And then we identify the binge eating disorder. And that's an important piece of the conversation is to say like, Hey, you have an eating disorder. We need to treat that first. And it needs to be totally separate from trying to lose weight. Like they have to be two different things. So we've actually now started completely separating the programs and you need to complete like a full six months. So your, your treatment plus your follow-up for a period To make sure that the eating disorder is treated before we even kind of start considering weight loss. And sometimes people aren't, you know, aren't wanting to do that, but we know from the evidence that that's the best way to approach this. And that's going to lead to the best long-term results, right?
1: Yes. And I think that is a really important point because if someone is coming to us for weight loss, often what we see is they've tried some other programs before and it didn't work out. And the reason that it didn't was because they had this untreated binge eating disorder. And so maybe this is just a, a delay gratification opportunity. But if we just put in the hard work to prioritize mental health and the binge eating disorder first, Although the weight loss is gonna to have to be a longer weight, it's likely going to be a lot more effective because finally the the missing piece is now being addressed.
0: Yeah, so good.
1: Okay. well, I think we've covered everything.
0: Um, so this is recover, we were talking about recover strong, which is based in CBTT. It's a very effective evidence-based treatment for binge eating disorder. Anything that you want to say in in closing, Julie?
1: Yes. There is actually one portion of Recover Strong that we haven't touched on yet, and it's the body image. So, um, so important. We, yeah. We do a couple sessions at the last half of the program because body image can also be a trigger for people. Um, and it can manifest as maybe avoiding the mirror or avoiding photos for a prolonged period of time because they don't want to see what their body currently looks like. Maybe they're shame and they're unhappy with that. The issue with that is with prolonged avoidance. The first time you look in the mirror again, we're probably going to be experiencing years of push down emotions that we've been avoiding. And so exposure therapy also happens. And it, it sounds very unconventional, but we do exposure therapy with the mirror and having people stand in front of the mirror because at first the anxiety will be really high. But after some time, eventually we reach that state of acceptance. And it's really hard to go from disliking to loving our body, but it is a little less of a jump to go to more of a neutral or acceptance state. And so we, there are an array of experiments that we do in body image to hopefully reach that body acceptance by the end of the program.
0: Yeah. And I think that like, let's just talk briefly about that anxiety piece because some people might be like, Oh my gosh, I can't do that. Like that is terrifying. It's a 10 on 10 anxiety. So just to put in a caveat that there are, I'll call it safety, right? Like between the client and the coach where it's like, we want you to tolerate a measure of anxiety that you're okay with, right? Like, I think we call it, is it a tolerable amount of anxiety? Is that the terminology? Uh, we,
1: we call it maximum tolerable anxiety. So right, that's right. enough that you're pushing to change, but not too, too much where you don't want to come back to us. (laughs)
0: Right. Right. Maximum tolerable anxiety. Doesn't that sound like fun? Don't you all just want to sign up for that? (laughs) But once you get through that, that's where the growth happens. That's where the transformation happens. And that's like, that's where this becomes a life-changing treatment. So, so, so good, Julie. I'm so proud of you for all the work that you're doing. You're literally changing women's lives. It's incredible. Thank you so much for coming on to share this. Yeah, thanks so, Thank great you so you. much for
1: having me. I love talking about this.
0: <laughs> Amazing. All right, thanks everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Hey, if you are struggling with binge eating disorder and you haven't been able to get the treatment that you need, then I want to invite you to join Recover Strong. It is our new one-on-one coaching program that is available to women across Canada in 10 short weeks. You can reduce your binging Improve your relationship to body, to food, and to self. Address the negative emotions that can be associated with binge eating disorder and concerns like body dissatisfaction, body checking or avoidance, and comparison with others. We will help you have a plan for relapse prevention so that you can really eliminate binges for good. You'll leave this program confident and in control in the face of all foods and empowered in your relationship with yourself. Now is the time to end the cycle of binge, shame, and restrict once and for all. Check it out, www.highmetabolicclinic.com B-E-D, and we're looking forward to supporting you.